So Money Episode 39, Ryan Levesque. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. How's it going, everyone? Hey, get this. Imagine achieving a 40% annual return on your investments for eight years straight. And I'm not talking about a Ponzi scheme. Today's guest started investing when he was 10 years old, and he managed to grow his $5,000 inheritance to pay for two years of college. And we're talking Brown University, so this was not a cheap school. My guest today is Ryan Levesque. Ryan is a marketing expert. He's also a business coach who started his business back in 2008. He was armed with nothing but an inexpensive laptop. I think it was about 450 bucks. He had, of course, his Ivy League education. And most importantly, he had an insatiable curiosity to understand why people buy. And it led him to creating the Ask formula. And he describes it extensively in his brand new book. It's called Ask, which he has generously offered for free to So Money listeners. So if you're listening to this podcast, stay listening. During the interview, Ryan shares how you can get a free copy. And he's got 100 at our disposal. So act fast. Ryan has used his Ask formula to help build multi-million dollar businesses in 17 different industries, generating over $100 million bucks in sales in the process. Today, he and his team offer training, consulting, and implementation services for entrepreneurs and businesses at all levels. And he's a really cool guy. A few takeaways from this interview. Why and how Ryan left the golden handcuffs of his dream cushy job to explore his passion. I mean, he left Wall Street, which you know has all of its luxuries, all of its conveniences, all of its income, to start afresh. And it was kind of a scary transition, but he, uh, he made it work, and we're going to learn from that. The unusual forward question that he says can help entrepreneurs actually boost their income, and he's quantified it. He says it can actually increase your income by 36%. He's very confident about this forward question. He's going to share that with us on the show. And he also talks about how to eliminate decision fatigue so that you can focus on things that really matter in your life. And I have to say, this was probably my favorite takeaway from the entire interview. It's uh, I've applied it to my life already, trying to eliminate decision fatigue. It is life-changing. Here is Ryan Levesque. Ryan Levesque, welcome to So Money. Fantastic to have you here on as a guest. Farnoosh, I am so excited to be here, really excited to be chatting with you this morning. You have had such a phenomenal career, and I have to give you a lot of credit because you left what was probably a very comfortable job on Wall Street. I mean, a lot of people, their goal is just to get on Wall Street. You were there, you left, and you had another idea, and it was perhaps a transition that was filled with a lot of emotion, fear, uncertainty. Tell, take us back to that moment. I think for me, reading that in your bio really struck a chord because I, I love to hear people's stories of transition and um, kind of thinking outside of the box and acting outside of the box. So what was that moment like for you? It's really funny that you bring that up because as I was kind of recounting the story in my own mind, it's actually a, a few transitions. It's really two key ones. 
so what's interesting is so I grew up in a very modest circumstances. I was the first person in my family ever go to college. Um, my dad worked for the post office. My mom cut hair for a living and, uh, and managed to be not only the first to, to go to college in my family, but uh, graduated with an Ivy League degree. And uh, coming out of school, uh, I had an opportunity to, to work on Wall Street, worked on Wall Street, and made more money than you know any kind of money we saw growing up. Uh, but I had this other passion, and the passion had to do, strangely enough, with East Asian studies, Chinese. And I was really passionate about the Chinese language. I, I speak Chinese fluently now. I studied at university, lived abroad, and gave up a ton of money on Wall Street to work in China, um, and eventually had a r really well-paying job in China. But at about eight, nine years ago, uh, when I was in my mid-20s, I think it was 25, I sort of had this quarter-life crisis and uh, I was making all kinds of great money, had a dream job. We were living, my wife and I were living, you know, a dream expat lifestyle with house servants, fancy apartment, fancy meals, expense account, the whole deal. And I thought, this is it. And I, I wrote this uh, crazy 20-page letter uh, to my mom, but it was really to myself. And basically, the idea of the letter was, listen, um, I have this this fire inside of me and I feel like the fire has almost extinguished like there's just this tiny little flicker of a flame that's left and if I don't do something about it now that that flicker is going to be gone for good and it's hard to leave the golden handcuffs of you know the the type of environment that we're in but if I don't, don't do something about it now I'm never going to do something so I know you're going to think I'm crazy but um, within six months I'm going to leave my job I'm going to be starting something new, and I can't tell you exactly what it, what it is yet because I don't even really know what it is. I just know I'm going to be starting something new, and I'm going to go into business for myself, and I'm going to make it work. And this was in 2008. This was, yeah, seven years ago, eight years ago almost, and, um, and never looked back since. And there were some tough early days, which we can talk about if you're interested. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough leaving that, that big money behind, um, to essentially move in with my wife. Uh, we were living a crazy bi-country marriage where I was based in Shanghai. She was based in Hong Kong, and we'd fly to see each other every couple weeks. She was pursuing a Ph.D. program at Hong Kong University. So we moved in together in a tiny 400-square-foot uh, apartment and living on a $500 a month Ph.D. stipend that she got from the university. Um, you know, we, we launched our first online business, um, and there were, those were our lean early days before um, you know, the, the success that we've been fortunate enough to achieve today and the, and the company that we own today. So um, that's, the, that's the transition. Um, there's a, two transitions, I guess, in there from Wall Street to China and then from China to uh, doing what we do now. Um, but hopefully that gives a little bit of a background. It does. It does. And I think we'll get more into the details as, we, as this interview unfolds. But I want to fast forward to now, to today. Okay. You have a, a new book out. It's called Ask. Tell us about it. Yes. So really what I've done since that transition is I've managed to be successful going into at least 23 different online markets using a unique process that involves asking a series of questions and using the answers to those questions to tailor and customize your marketing to different segments in different audiences. And the reason that I came up with this or went down this path is because the first 
few attempts that I had online, I completely failed. And it was only after, almost out of desperation, in one of the markets that we were pursuing, just firing out an email and asking people, well, tell me, why didn't you buy? That I started seeing the power in asking the right questions and getting the right feedback at the right time. Since then, we've entered markets ranging from jewelry making to memory improvement to dog training, weight loss, fitness, do, uh, uh, satellite television, business funding, uh, tennis training, golf training, and the list goes on. And we've generated over 3 million leads, uh, over 200,000 customers. And between my, my client partners and my team and I, we've generated over $100 million in sales uh, using this formula that we've used in market after market. And we started teaching this formula to the public and uh, with great success. And students were coming back with so many success stories. We decided last year we need to get this formula in the hands of as many entrepreneurs and business owners as possible because we truly think that this is something that can change the way business is transacted online. And it's one of the rare things that benefits both consumers and merchants, and in my opinion, it's the case of a rising tide raises all ships. And this book, Ask, tells the story of the journey of how this formula was developed, and then the bulk of the book focuses on what the formula is and how to apply it in your business, no matter what market you're in, no matter if you're a solopreneur or if you have a multi-million dollar company, how to apply the formula to have that level of success in your business. You talk about how to increase your income by 36% by asking customers this unusual four-word question. Can you share that with us? I want people to go out and buy this book. And in fact, you've been really generous. You're offering uh, 100 free books on your website for so many listeners. Uh, get them while they last. Get them while they're hot. Tell us a little bit about how we can get that. But first, I want to tell our audience what this four-word question is. It's interesting now this and i'm gonna I'll, re, I'll reveal what it is okay what's interesting about this is most people hear the title ask and they say oh this is just about asking what people want and giving it to them and that couldn't be further from the truth in fact the subtitle of the book is one of these big hairy long subtitles and it's the um uh, the counterintuitive online formula to discover exactly what your customers want to buy create a mass of raving fans and take any business to the next level and the counterintuitive part is you can't actually ask people what they want. And the reason why is so many entrepreneurs have discovered from Henry Ford to Steve Jobs is people don't know what they want. You can't go out and say, what do you want me to sell you? You have to ask a series of questions that arrive at the answer that are often counterintuitive. Now, the reason why I gave that preamble is to set up the four-word question. So one of the questions that you ask in your market in the right context, which is a little bit, it's going to sound out of context, a little bit, um, what's the right word, not aggressive, but a little bit uh, um, unexpected, is this. Four words are, do you hate me? <laughs> in fact, it's an email that I send out in most markets, and it's one that stirs people's attention. You get an email like that, and immediately it creates a visceral, visceral response. Yeah. And you're not really asking, do people hate you? But what you're asking is, why didn't they buy? 
if you put an amazing opportunity in front of someone, maybe even give them an opportunity to try something for free and they still don't buy, you need to get to the root of the problem. You need to figure out what is going on. And the way to do that in our experience is to shock them a little mm-hmm. bit and kind of get them out of their you know, comfort zone with this pattern interrupt. And the pattern interrupt is, do you hate me? And when you just use just that one email alone, after you do any sort of promotion and ask people why they didn't buy, and by the way, it's do you hate me, and in the email, there's a little smiley face next to it so people know that it's, it's, a, it's a joke. I'm, you know, it's not seriously, and, there, and there's a B2B version of this as well if you, you know, have a stodgy you know, billion-dollar corporation where this just isn't going to fly. Um, but the premise is the same, and it's finding out why people didn't buy and then using that intelligence to recalibrate and iterate on your sales messaging to overcome the objections that you didn't do a good job of overcoming. And that's the theme of the book is asking unconventional questions to un, at, the, at, the, at un, you know, unexpected times in unexpected environments to get to the truth and then using the truth to guide everything that you do rather than starting with a product first or starting with your own ideas first and letting that drive mm-hmm. your strategy. Well, if that isn't a good tease, I don't know what is. Folks, the book is called Ask. Tell us how we can be one of the very lucky 100 to get a free copy. Awesome. So if you go to askformula.com forward slash so money, if you go to that URL and you enter the coupon code so money 2015, what you'll see is the physical copy of the book, instead of costing $24.95, is going to drop down to zero. And it's truly zero. So I'm going to ship it to you on me. I'm going to pay for the shipping cost. I'm going to pay for the cost of the book. And the reason why I want to do this for a select number of people, I obviously can't do this for uh, the entire universe, um, uh, is that I really believe in what we're doing. And for me at this point, it's more important to get this message out and to impact as many entrepreneurs, as many businesses as possible than it is to sell a few extra copies of the book. And, you know, Farnish, you were kind enough to, uh, you know, help spread this message. And just as a way of saying thanks to, um, to show my appreciation to you and, and to your awesome audience for being with us and, and, and being part of this, uh, I'd be honored to, uh, to give away 100 copies. Well, that is incredibly generous, Ryan. Thank you so, so much. Everyone, do check out the book, and I'm going to put also this information online at somoneypodcast.com in case you missed it and you were listening and don't have a pen and paper, don't worry, you can get the information uh, on, online as well. So let's awesome. transition now to my so money questions, Ryan. How are you let's feeling about that? Okay. I, I'm pumped. Me too. All right, let's get philosophical. Share with us one financial philosophy that helps guide you, your life, your business. Yeah, so I have this philosophy that there are only uh, two options when it comes to money and business. You either need to be 100% in charge of the, the destination, in charge of what you're doing with the money. So in other words, investing in your own business that you are the, the owner in, or the other extreme, betting in the global economy as a whole. I think, this is my philosophy, I think, and I've, again, I've, I, worked for, I worked for Goldman Sachs, and I have a bit of a background in this, so it's not something that I just came up with someday on a magazine. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and researching this, and this is how the big investment banks 
how they work with high net worth individuals who are more concerned with losing their wealth than necessarily achieving massive gains. And the idea is this. It's, it's almost a fool's game to try to invest in individual uh, equities, individual um, stocks, in, in, individual companies, unless that is what you do all day, every day. Unless that is your job and that's, you do nothing but that. You're someone like Warren Buffett or uh, someone who just is, spends all day pouring over company data. Unless you do that, then the chance, your probability of success is relatively low. And instead, you should bet in, on the global economy glowing, growing as a whole and diversifying your uh, portfolio across different currencies, across different uh, market capitalization, so everything from micro cap to large cap, fixed income and, fixed income and equities, uh, international and uh, domestic, and uh, alternative investments as well, uh, like real estate and precious metals. And when you bet that the global economy is going to grow as a whole, that's a pretty safe bet. And so what I do is allocate a certain portion of our company revenue, and we just park it in a place that I don't see. Because I know if I'm watching it and if I'm watching the ups and downs that I'm going to be tempted to make portfolio modifications that are not part of the algorithm that I use. And so instead, I park that money away as if it doesn't exist. And the net effect for Noosh is that it shrinks our, the bank account that I'm looking at on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And that creates a tremendous amount of, of in incentive to grow it up again. When you see a million dollars in the bank account, you can get lazy pretty quick. When that number is $5,000 and you think, oh crap, if that goes to zero, we're in trouble, it incentivizes you to really hustle and, and work hard. So that is philosophically, uh, I guess, one of the larger things that had a bigger impact on, on the level of success that we've been able to have. So my goal is do as good as we can in the business that we manage, make as much money from that, and then take money out of that into passive investment that mm -hmm. I'm just making a bet that in, in 50 years from now, the global economy is going to be bigger than it is today. Money memories, Ryan. Share with us a time in your life, uh, your most, your earliest financial memory, probably when you were a kid, right? And learning from, or from through observation from your parents. What's a, a time in your life where you recall as being a financial moment that probably taught you a whole lot as an adult now? Well, I learned the, the importance of investing. I was fortunate at an early age. So like I mentioned, um, we didn't grow up with any money. And um, you know, we weren't you know, on food stamps or anything like that. I don't want to give people the wrong impression. But there was never ever any extra money. You know, we'd, we'd, maybe we'd go out for pizza once a, once a month, something like that. But we didn't go out to eat. There was you know, hand-me-down clothing. It was, it was that kind of you know, used cars. That was kind of the, um, the environment that we grew up in. And when I was 10 years old, it might not be the earliest memory, but it's probably the most salient one. When I was 10 years old, my grandparents passed away on my mom's side, 18 months apart. And they left my sister and I um, an inheritance. And the inheritance was $5,000 each. That was everything that they had in their name. And my mom basically said, um, you know, the $5,000, you can do what you want with it. It's, it's yours. And um, I was interested in investing. For whatever reason, I was interested in investing. I remember having, my mom had this book called The, Beard, the uh, Beards Sound Ladies Investment Club. And it was a story about this, this, this group of women investors in the 1980s who had made tons of money creating this investment club. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to invest in the stock market? And uh, long story short, I decided, but every Peter Lynch book that existed, I was obsessed with 
um, uh, picking the right stocks. And uh, I was able, uh, from the time I was 10 years old to 18 years old, take that $5,000 investment and grow it to just just over $85,000. Oh, and my paid goodness. For my it paid for my first two years in college, and that's that's uh, in all honesty, that's the only reason why uh, we were even able to afford to uh, to send me to college. Um, and you know, I'd love to claim like I was some brilliant whiz kid, but in all honesty, it was it was it was a little bit of um, right place, right time, and uh, a little bit of smart decisions. I, I invested heavily in the semiconductor industry, um, uh, companies like Intel and Applied Materials. Um, but uh, I grew up in the roaring 90s and just happened to go to college right before the, the tech bust mm. in 1999-2000. Uh, so I had to cash out my investment right before that happened. So I just it's almost dumb luck. At the same time, the big lesson that I learned there is you know half of success is just freaking showing up. And I didn't know too many kids that were 10 years old that took that took their $5,000 and did that. And it just goes to show you that half the, half the battle is just showing up and doing it. And for anybody like myself who sometimes gets caught up in perfection, analysis, uh, perfection paralysis or paralysis analysis, whatever you want to describe it as, you know, the name of the game, and I, I say this, uh, you know, the name of the game is just, just freaking doing it. Yeah. Um, don't have to get it perfect. You just got to get it going. So that was an early, uh, uh, you know, memory that really impacted me. And with respect to investing in money, just told me, listen, you know, you don't have to worry about getting it perfect. You just have to get going in the right direction. As long as you do that, you're going to be so far ahead of the game um, than most people and, and hopefully serve as an example for other people who are, you know, looking to improve in that area of your life. So it definitely had a huge, profound impact on, on my thinking relative to money. Let's shift gears now to a financial fail. Not to bring the mood down, but I love this sure. question because I, does, I do think it's very revealing. Yep. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind sharing with us one significant financial fail and, and what you learned from it. Yeah, so um, let, let's, t let's go back to the when I left. Um, so I worked for Goldman, then AIG. Um, AIG was an insurance company. It's a company I was working for in China. So let's go to the transition when I left AIG to start our first company, um, our first business online. So, uh, and this was a bit of a failure. So I had a nice uh, high six-figure six job, AIG, was managing a team of 24 people and wanted to, you know, kind of moonlighting as an online entrepreneur on nights and weekends. And my wife and I got into the most random of obscure niches that we found where we were teaching people how to make jewelry using Scrabble tiles. And at the time, this is 2008, 2009, there was like this massive craze around creating all sorts of different jewelry with Scrabble tiles, and we were just freaking rocking it in the business. And then uh, 2000, this is 2008, um, I wake up one day and go into my office, and the front page of the Wall Street Journal Asia edition says, AIG to file for bankruptcy. And this was right in the middle of where Lehman and Bear Stearns, like everyone was going under. And it was like AIG was like the next domino that was going to fall. And I remember calling up my wife and saying, all right, honey, like today's the day. I'm going to do it. And I, um, I, I handed my, the, the CEO of our China company my resignation letter and, uh, and left, moved in with my wife, like I mentioned. And I said, all right, let's take this Scrabble tile thing as big as we can. And almost within weeks, after I had left this, the entire worldwide Scrabble tile market crashed as well. Hmm. It was nothing more than a fad like Beanie Babies or, or Pogs or, you know, any of those things where the market gets really huge and really 
dead really fast. And I, we looked at each other and we said, okay, what are we going to do now? And long story short, my wife, we, we, she finished the program. We moved back to the U.S. She took a job as a museum curator making $36,000 a year. And we moved into a tiny apartment in Brownsville, Texas. And we had nothing. We didn't have any furniture. We had a $200 mattress. We had two lawn chairs that we got for opening up our corporate bank account, uh, a $5 TV that we bought off Craigslist with rabbit ears that we had to jam into the windows. And, <laughs> and I had my laptop. That's it. And we paid for high-speed internet connection. And I, we had to start over. We basically had to start over. We came back to the U.S. Uh, uh, late 20s with, with nothing to show for it. We, had to, we couldn't bring what we owned back. So it was too expensive to ship it back. So we just took two suitcases worth of stuff each, moved back to the U.S., started from ground zero, and I just busted my butt. Um, and you know, the, the lesson there that I learned, uh, well, a business lesson was uh, never go, go into another fad market again. So if you notice the markets that I rattled off, golf instruction, dog training, tennis instruction, satellite TV, uh, weight loss, fitness, they're all evergreen markets. I will never get into a market like, um, you know, iPhone uh, accessories. Because who knows? I mean, the iPhone's big now, but five years from now, who knows what the next thing is going to be? Um, and so I never wanted to do that again. That was the big lesson. And the second lesson is, you know, on the this is like the flip side to, to the luck thing we were talking about with um, – investing in the stock market as a kid, uh, you know, luck goes both ways. And it really is a matter of taking more swings at the bat, taking as many swings at the bat as you can, because you're going to, you know, even the best uh, world-class baseball players, uh, hitters in the world, still bat 300, right? Maybe 400. Uh, uh, you'll see that once in a, a, you know, several generation, which means you're still failing anywhere from six out of seven times at the plate. And the same thing is true when you're taking swings at the bat in business. And sometimes luck's going to be on your side, sometimes it's not. But you just got to get yourself back up and take that next swing. And so those are some big lessons that I learned um, um, kind of on the failure side of things. And uh, I, I always remember those lean days, and I'm glad that we had them because it forced me to uh, eliminate that fear of failure, knowing that if things got really bad, this is exactly what life would be like financially. And you know what? We were fine. Hmm. You know, we, we were okay. There's a saying, I, I probably am botching it up, but it's like something like the richest experience in life is being poor at one point. And there's just so much to learn from that. And if you can survive that and if you can grow from that, I think that is a lesson and a moment in your life that will continue to keep on giving you comfort and support and confidence. Right. It's so true. And it's, it's such a great lesson. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of my friends, who, I mean, I have the career path of an entrepreneur, which is a roller coaster career path. A lot of my friends, they went to medical school, they went to law school, some of them went to business school. Their career path is a, uh, a slow ascent up the mountain with no real setbacks. And um, I know for many of them uh, who quietly hate what they're doing, um, the, the biggest fear is, well, I don't want to go back to, you know, I don't want to give up my, my, my BMW or my Lexus, the fancy apartment, the, you know, stainless steel appliances and the granite or whatever it is that matters to you. There's a fear to give up those things. And, well, what would it be like, again, to live in a, a crappy walk-up apartment with, uh, you know, studio and, and uh, you know, 
um, you know, poor, in a poor part of a poor neighborhood in town. Um, when you've gone through that, I truly believe, I think that's one of the biggest blessings. And I'm, I used to, I used to be, when I was in college, I mean, I, went with, I, I had some friends of mine who, whose parents were literally billionaires. Um, and I was the poor kid. Um, you know, I was a kid that couldn't do stuff. And at, in college, I was a little bit resentful about it. Um, but now looking back that we've been out of school for almost 15 years, um, I, I'm so thankful for that. And so for anybody who's listening to this, it doesn't matter what situation you're in, but for anybody who's listening to this who uh, has kind of felt that, like that they didn't have all the advantages, and I feel like not having the advantage is the biggest advantage. So, yes, yes. Um, well said, well said. Well, Ryan, let's switch gears now and talk happy. Talk about a good moment, a smart moment, a so money moment where you really experienced a financial win. And I have a feeling it might have been at some point in more recently when your business really took off. Yeah, and, and that's what I would describe. I mean, it was really, this is a business lesson more so than a money lesson, but it, they, it, they go hand in hand. I realized the power of becoming a category of one. To be, to both be the best in the world at something and have that position in the marketplace, no matter how small that thing is. And for me, that thing is building online sales funnels, which my, my team and I do, building online sales funnels which use surveys in a way that nobody else does. If you want what we describe as a survey funnel, the only reason you don't come to us is because you can't afford us. We are the best in the world at that inch-wide, mile-deep space. And the analogy I always use, because it's uncomfortable to turn away everything else and only focus on that one thing and only that thing, the analogy I always use is who would you rather be? Would you rather be the general practitioner that you go to for your annual checkup? Or would you rather be the brain surgeon at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester who only does parietal lobe brain surgeries five days a week and is the only person in the world that does it and is the best in the world at that one thing? Who would you rather be? Now, it depends on what you want out of life, but one of those people makes about $150,000 a year and the other one makes between three and $5 million a year. And it's pretty obvious, I think, uh, which is which. When I realized this, when I realized the power of saying no and only saying yes to a very small number of things and becoming the best in the world at that one thing, everything else takes care of itself. Everything else just falls into place. And that's what happened in our business really over the last two years. And this book is just an extension of that, is we just decided to, uh, I basically made a decision. I said, you know what, I wanna, I'm going to publish my secret family recipe. I'm going to publish the thing that's been responsible for all of our success because I think it's one of these things, one of these ideas that is so transformational that I want to get it in as many businesses' hands as possible because I know good things are going to happen. And how long did it take you to become this category of one? How long was that transition when you were refusing work and perhaps living a, a, taking that risk? How long did it, that last? Well, it, it took having probably the biggest setback of my life, which we hadn't yet talked about, which is about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, after our first son was born, I personally started getting very sick. I was working, uh, running a, you know, a fast growing company, running 100 miles an hour all the time, and I started dropping weight really quickly. And uh, my wife urged me to apply for life insurance because our first son was born. 
And after losing about 35 pounds, I came home from a conference, opened up a life insurance letter. Basically, the letter said denied. I just turned 30. And I thought there must be some mistake. Um, Long story short, um, I was in a state for many months known as DKA, which is diabetic ketoacidosis. It's a state that people fall into before you find out that you're a juvenile diabetic, which happens when you're a kid. Well, long story short, I found out that um, something happened in my body that I became a juvenile diabetic at 30 years old, which is extremely rare. It's not unprecedented, but it's extremely rare. And when I went to the doctor to corroborate the lab results, he basically took me by the shoulders and he said, Ryan, uh, you should be in a coma right now and you need to go to the emergency room right now and you are not driving. And I went to the emergency room and they put me in the ICU for, um, for a week. Um, and um, that week in the ICU gave me, um, I always get emotional when I talk about this, um, but it, it gave me a lot of time to reflect. And uh, I came out of the hospital and I basically said, um, okay, um, second lease on life, um, this is your chance. What are you going to do with it? And really, when you, when you come to terms with your own mortality like that, um, especially as a you know, dad with young kids, um, it really forces, it creates this level of clarity and focus unlike anything else. And again, it was one of these things where, um, you know, could look at it as the biggest setback or the biggest opportunity. But I came out of the hospital basically like a bat out of hell and said, uh, and divested myself of everything else that I was doing except for the one thing that I felt like I'm uniquely gifted at and can make a unique contribution to the world. And, you know, a client, once he heard me kind of tell him this story in a little bit more detail, he said, I finally get you, Ryan. I finally understand why you are the way you are and why you do what you do. It's because you're afraid of dying. And when you, when you fear death like that in a real way, not like how we all fear death, but when you fear death in a real way where you realize you aren't going to live forever, it, again, creates this level of focus and clarity that's unlike anything else. And to be perfectly honest, for me, it took that to happen for me to have the confidence the, the fortitude, the energy, the focus, whatever you want to describe it as, to say no to everything else, focus on this one thing, and say to myself, let's see how big we can make this. Wow. And, you know, we always say life is too short, but you really experienced it in, in, in a real way. I'm so glad you're better, Ryan. I'm, I'm, I didn't know this about you. This is. Uh... I know. Well, it's not that I mean, I, I, I'm not, it's not something that I hide. It's, it's something I'm, I'm happy to talk about because I think it is a. Uh, so many of us have been affected by health things, whether it's ourselves or our parents or loved ones or something like that. So, so many people can relate, and I think um, it's important to share that part of the story. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it really took that moment to um, to have that transition, and it's not coincidence that that um, you know happened about two and a half years ago, and that's when the meteoric rise of our company, and we had great growth before that, but it's been hockey stick growth really ever since. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. And now I truly get you too. (laughs) All right, Ryan, let's talk a little bit about habits. You sound like a man who knows his priorities. You know how to stack your day. When it comes to managing your money and creating the habits around that, what's one that you'd like to share that you think is really powerful that's helped you take your money from good to great? Oh, man, such a great question. Um, So, okay, if I were to create an, describe it as an overarching habit, 
it's eliminating decision fatigue in my life. So I'm one of these obscure people. I wear the same thing every single day. I have this one polo shirt. It's not expensive. It's not fancy. Don't get too excited. It's from, tar- <laughs> from Target, like 17 bucks or whatever, and I've got like 30 of them in my closet. I wear the same shirt every single day. I've got it in all the different colors. I eat the same thing every day. So I have uh, green juice in the morning, fresh juice from our, our juicer. I have um, smoothies two times a day. I have the same salad three times a day. Um, and, it's, uh, and the reason why I do that, one, on the diet side of things, it helps um, maintain my blood sugar levels so I can have as little insulin, artificial insulin as possible um, uh, on the diabetes side of things. But number two is it eliminates decision fatigue. And as, as far as habits are concerned, we spend, people tend to spend so much time caught up in decisions that don't matter as a way to, I think, convince ourselves that what we're doing is keeps ourselves busy, so it keeps our mind off the important stuff, right? If you constantly are knocking off emails and small things on your to-do list, but you're never getting to the big stuff that really matters, you still feel okay because it feels like you got a lot done, but you really haven't made the impact that you, that you, that you could. Now, on the habit side of things, structuring your day like this and freeing your mind to not have to think, well, what are we going to eat today or what am I going to wear? And those are just a few examples. It, it's tremendously liberating. And if you study some of the most successful people in history, I'm not the inventor of this idea, I'm just the retailer of it. Uh, if you study everyone from Benjamin Franklin to Albert Einstein to more contemporary, you know, Steve Jobs or even Mark Zuckerberg now, it's a very common trend that eliminating decision fatigue on these uh, norm, you know, normal everyday things, because here's the thing, you only have so much willpower, you only have so much decision-making, processing ability, and if you're spending that time on you know, something like that, which is nothing wrong with it, there's nothing wrong with, you know, there are people I know who say, Ryan, I could never do that, I love food so much, and so do I, I love food, and you know, we eat out on weekends and things like that, but on a weekly basis, I mean, we've got you know, uh, domestic help, uh, fortunately, um, that, you know, stuff's made. It just walk into the fridge, turn on the smoothie, and it's drink it, and then back to work. So what could be a, a 20, 30, 40, 50-minute experience, maybe an hour to get lunch together, is a 30-second experience. And when you start adding up the time, it ends up being a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And when you start thinking about all the decisions that you need to make on all these things, it becomes a lot of decisions. And when you free your mind up from that, it's one of the most powerful habits that I've learned to adopt and that uh, I can share with anybody who, who wants to you know, take what you're doing to the next level. Yes, and so to bring it home, that free time, that freedom of mind and focus and clarity can then be applied to things that can actually you know, make a return for you, whether it's coming up with the next idea, working on the projects that you have at hand, making more money, thinking more about where to invest your money. I love that. If I could eliminate making choices for dinner every night, I think that would free up a lot of time <laughs> and no stress. The stress factor is also important to mention. All right, we are almost done here, Ryan, but before we go, of course, I have to ask you my so money fill in the blanks. All right, let's do it. Starting with, if I won the lottery tomorrow, say $100 million, the first thing, first thing I would do is... First thing I would do is uh, buy the car that I'm thinking about buying right now. <laughs> details, details, tell us. So I just bought my wife uh, uh, a Tesla, the uh, Tesla X, which is the SUV version. Oh my and, gosh. Which uh, she's really excited about. And now this is going to sound so, um, uh, so is hypocritical. Is that even on the market? I don't, did you get that before it even hit the market? 
Well, we uh, put the deposit on it. Okay, so we're, okay. We're okay. in line. Yeah, we're in, we're in line. So, um, uh, and I was tempted to get the S for me, uh, like, you know, just like, almost like I was a one-click upsell on the website, like, okay, maybe just a second one. Um, but uh, it, it sounds so hypocritical, but I really, uh, I've had my eye on a, a Mercedes G-Class, um, it's a massive SUV that's like a military-grade vehicle, you've probably seen them before, yes. um, which is like the total opposite of the Tesla. Tesla's like, uh, you know, no gasoline required, the G-Class is like 10 miles to the gallon. Um, but the way I justify it to myself is we kind of average out okay. Um, <laughs> the G-Class reminds me of like World War II. It is. It's totally that. And so my first car growing up was a rusted out uh, old you know, piece of junk, 1987 Jeep. And so I have this affinity for like that look. I don't know what it is. It's like so deep in my DNA. My wife's like, that's the ugliest car. I can't believe it costs what it costs. But I want one. So <laughs> you want what you want. You want what you want. Well, with a hundred million, there'll be lots left over for exactly. For other yeah, uses. exactly. Yeah, exactly. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is is help. And I learned to hire out all the things that most people sort of take for granted that you have to do. We've reached a point now where we've engineered things where we don't do any of that. So we have, you know, I have a handyman. I have uh, we have a housekeeper. Um, we have a nanny, not that we don't want to be with our children, but we have a nanny to, to help. Um, we have all those roles uh, hired, which allows us to, instead of you know, spending time cleaning diapers, um, spend time playing with our kids. And it's something that surprisingly almost anybody can do. Pretty much anybody listening to this podcast can engineer your life to do this. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is... Um, I get a massage every week. It's not an expensive massage, but I get a massage. It's kind of like my, my one hour where I'm by myself. I spend a lot of time thinking, and it's kind of a splurge, but um, it's kind of how I wrap up my day on Friday. Yeah, it's good healing. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is? <sighs> that the fastest way to make a million dollars is to spend $2 million. What I mean by that is uh, the biggest regret, and I think we maybe we get to this, um, one of the biggest regrets that I've had in business is really the fact that I was, I was slower to hire and outsource and build my team than I was. So we have a team that's about 15, approaching 20 people now in our company. And for the first several years, we were just, it was just my wife and me. And we were literally the ones that would do everything from, uh, we would put uh, 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 labels on packages while watching stuff on Netflix on the floor of our apartment originally and eventually our house. We were just doing that. Um, and we just, you know, we just didn't outsource. And I, I didn't appreciate um, uh, that statement uh, until, you know, recent, you know, recently that um, you gotta, if you wanna grow and you wanna build your business, you have to invest and uh, invest in it. And uh, we bootstrapped our business started with 500 bucks and parlayed that into really what it's a multi-million dollar company. When I donate money, Ryan, I like to give to blank because? I like to give to people that I can actually meet because selfishly it makes me feel really good and it makes me want to give more. So we do things like Brown Santa where we, you know, um, you know, make Christmas happen for some families and that like you know, that makes me feel really good because you get to meet the kids and, you know, yeah. they're great kids and great families, but like you get to meet them. It's like, whoa, 
and like just a couple hundred bucks can make a huge difference to to people in a way that like you just don't even appreciate. And for me, getting to meet the people um, that you're actually impacting rather than donate, you know, ten thousand dollars to Red Cross that you're never going to see, um, that for me warms my heart. I like that a lot. Yeah, you want that immediate gratification and it may sound selfish but if it's making you give more then do what works for you yep yep i'm so money because <laughs> i didn't know how to answer this i mean <laughs> i i you know i've you know how do you answer that without sounding you know arrogant so i really i'm going to deflect i'm going to say i'm so money because i had the opportunity to spend this morning uh with you and with your audience oh well we really appreciate you ryan this has been a so much information in just a half hour. You've taught me so much. No doubt our listeners were taking notes, uh, hopefully not while they were driving or anything like that. But, uh, you know, a lot of the transcript will be on somoneypodcast.com. Tell us again how we can get a free copy of the book. Good. If you go to Ask Formula, that's A-S-K, the word ask, like ask a question, askformula.com forward slash so money. When you get to that page, you'll be asked to enter your name and email, and then you'll be taken to a checkout page. And on the checkout page, find the field that says coupon code. And if you enter the coupon code SOMONEY2015 and you do it before March 1st, or at least until we have copies available, the book will go from $24.95 to 100% free, no credit card required or anything like that. And once the book is released worldwide in March of this year, uh, I'll ship you a copy. And uh, I'd, be honored, uh, uh, I'd be honored if you'd read it. So um, it's really as simple as that. Well, that's really kind of you. And I wish you the only the best uh, with the book. I hope it becomes a New York Times number one bestseller. <laughs> and you can that get your awesome. wife, uh, you can get yourself that Tesla and the Mercedes G-Class if you so wish. <laughs> yeah. In all sincerity, though, Ryan, thank you very much. Absolutely, Farnoosh. Thank you so much, and have a great rest of your day. If you'd like to learn more about Ryan Levesque, please visit his website, thefunnelspecialist.com. And don't forget to claim your free book. Go to askformula.com forward slash so money. The coupon code is so money 2015. There are a hundred books and they will last until they run out. We have all the information for where to find Ryan at so moneypodcast.com. And of course, there you can find the transcript and comments from this episode and all previous episodes. And keep your questions coming. While you're at so moneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and ask away about work, money, life, guests. And there's a very good chance I'm going to answer it this weekend or the following weekend on the podcast. And of course, you can always tweet me at Farnoosh and use the hashtag so money so I can find you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money.